Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Well, big interview listeners. It's only taken us over 100 episodes and six years to finally make it to the home of football. Yes, this one comes to you from that temple of the beautiful game in the northeast of Scotland, Aberdeen, my hometown. I found it a privilege to sit down with their young manager, Stephen Glass. Stephen had a superb playing career with Aberdeen, Newcastle, Watford and Hibs. He played under Rude Hullet, Bobby Robson, Luca Viali and Tony Mowbray. In the States, he coached alongside Tata Martino and Frank de Boer. But he was made, in a football sense, in Aberdeen. In part one, we go back to those roots and reflect on the people and the environment which made him. We talk about his goals that stopped Roy Aikens Aberdeen from being relegated for the first time in history in 1995 but begin with how a Dundee boy came to move further northeast in the first place. Enjoy. Big interview listeners, you can see that I'm quite intimidated because I've never, even on television, worked in front of so many cameras before, but... Still more of an intimidating factor, um, Stephen Glass. Tim Sherwood's front living room with a white carpet that meant I had to take her shoes off. Gianluca Vialli's London mansion where the door was answered by a butler in full butler gear. Full butler gear. 
I, I could go on and on about the mad place. Duffer at Croke Park in a suite overlooking. But Stephen Glass, the Pataudry boardroom. Thank you. <laughs> I, let's just establish, I do not deserve this. No, you do. You do. <laughs> when was the first time you can remember setting foot in this, this hallowed place? It was probably when I was a kid. It, it would have been when I was coming up at like 12, 13, as a, like a schoolboy from Dundee. We'd come up for the week uh, during the school holidays for a whole week, stay in the digs in uh, the Great Western Road. There was probably 15 of us. Mini bus to training, train, uh, mini bus to dinner at night, go to Cadona's once that week. <laughs> and uh, aye, that was it. So probably then, so 12, 12 ish year old, yeah. You can answer, a, apart from this question, which I'm coming back to, I'll warn you, you can answer an age old thing that in my mind, anybody who's listening to me know, knows that I'm a complete idiot. Anybody who's been close to me could go into detail. But I've always thought to myself, if God had gifted me playing talent, I, I, I shan't name, but there are two teams I'd never play for. <laughs> and I always said as well, if I was a big starter club and, and they wanted to me wear a round neck strip, I'd say, no, I'm not wearing that. When you support a club, which you did, yeah. you, you support, I can say it, it'll come, Dundee United. So you grew up. It was, it was, yeah. Is there ever a doubt in your head when Aberdeen come knocking? Because I've always thought that for me, I'd be like, mm, not that lot, whichever. But no, nah, not really. Not because of the rivalry of that, more because of when I was a kid, I supported Dundee United. Like, I went to watch reserve games with my old man. Uh, I went to watch the first team. I started going on my own to watch the first team. And I was training with Dundee, Dundee United, Celtic, uh, and Aberdeen. I was thinking, there's one other. It was Aberdeen, obvious <laughs> one. Yeah, that was the fourth one. So uh, then... Dundee would have signed me, United would have signed me, and Aberdeen would have signed me. And I would have signed for United in a minute, because I was a Dundee boy. Uh, but my dad, he thought it was better to go out of the city and be away. Uh, for independence? Or? And uh, a little bit of like distractions and stuff like that, like all your mates are in Dundee. So the distractions are gone if you come and live in Aberdeen. You're in the digs every night, not doing anything, relaxing. Unless I misjudge, and this is cheeky, because your dad probably knows you better than me, but... I don't, you didn't, you've never struck me, even as a young player, somebody who'd been massively taken away by, just, let's say yeah. you signed for United, Yeah. You, you, you've got your eyes on the prize, I've felt like you always did. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that would have happened, but, and he never says you have to sign here or there, he's never been like that, but it was more, I think, what could happen, I, and I don't know why, but... I think he was right, but he, and like I say, he never railroaded me into saying you have to do this, this or this. He just, I don't think Dundee United was right. What was the process of joining Aberdeen back in the day like? Uh, was, so the training thing, training every week in Dundee, in the Dundee branch basically, where the manager would come. Uh, the manager, uh, so Drew, Willie, Jockey Scott, Alex Smith, they would drive from Aberdeen as the first team staff to coach a group of 12 to 16 year old Dundonians at Riverside on the, on the gravel. So the dedication that they were putting mm. into that recruitment of young players and drive for young players was huge. Uh, so it was who's doing it the best, who's going to give you the best opportunity. Uh, there, was, there was young players in the Aberdeen team that as a young player as well, I could see there's an opportunity to get in the team if you're good enough. 
There was at United as well, which was a lure, but I just felt it was Dundee United, sorry, Dundee United or Aberdeen for me. Uh, and I just thought there, there's a staff in this club that has a drive to put young players in their team if they're good enough. A lot of people listening to this won't know what you've mentioned there when you said on the gravel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have a shot at it, because genuinely a lot of them won't have a Scooby. Well, anybody that's ever been to Pataudry, it's the car park that's outside. It's like that. So that's what the gravel is. It's basically stone. It's orange stone uh, that, that's... Like dove soap, kind to the skin? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can vouch for that, no. It's good for you at the same time, because it toughens you up, but makes you stay on your feet at the right time. Does it teach you not to slide tackle, or, or, or as growing up as a tough Dundonian, did you go like, bollocks, there's a ball, I'm going in? Yeah, pretty much. If it's, uh, It probably sorted out who's willing to do what it takes to win games and be a professional, I think. A little bit of that. Maybe they had access to grass pitches and didn't they tell us, I don't know. <laughs> But Aye, there's certain people I know would have done that for well, sure. There was, there was a game, there's a youth team game that we played here at Aberdeen when I was full time, and we got beat one 0 off Motherwell across the road at the, what was the Chris Anderson Stadium, and it was in the afternoon, two o'clock or whatever, and we're in the showers, and Neil Cooper, that was our youth team coach, came in and says, "Phone your digs, you're on the way home for your dinner." <laughs> and I was like, "What? What do you mean? You're training the car park at five so this was Neil Cooper with a blonde hair or Tatty Cooper it was Neil Cooper Neil, I get mixed up Neil Cooper had played for St Murray and Aberdeen aye, Hibs because so. they, they came through they were just about contemporaries yeah one was N-E-I-L and one was N-E-A-L-E yeah, both, both called Tatty as far as I know but not, not the late Neil Cooper so that was obviously the, the Gothenburg great see so Neil. you mentioned one of the people you mentioned coming down to the Riverside to, to, to coach you you referred to him as his, his first name and even then I almost saluted because he's the mighty, the greatest central defender Britain's ever, I mean, made Bobby Moore look like Bobby Ball. But Willie Miller um, was training, and you pointed with your finger out behind my head, yeah. where the, the Aberdeen car park opposite Pataudry yeah. is red, brutal ash. Mm-hmm. And there's a famous, famous story about the Bayern Munich in 1983. I'd been the first German club to appoint a press officer. Right. I was an ex-journalist, and they said to him, OK... Press officer kind of means a PR as well, and what we want you to do is go. We've drawn some bunch of numpties from Scotland, Aberdeen, or something. Go over there, turn up, see if you can watch some training, go down to their game, and and come back and write a big article for the club newspaper that goes out to the fans before the quarter final of the Cup Winners' Cup. So this bloke, who then became their press officer for thirty years, t- told me when I was on our training camp with Bayern Munich once. He turned up at the railings there in a pissing rain. And when did we play Bayern Munich? Say March, March, April. I don't March. It would have been picking his Fergie's like, who are you? And he explains who he is. Come on in, because he's Bayern Munich. So for Fergie, this is royalty. Come in, watch a game, watch the training. And and the, the boy told me that he, even in them days. Nobody in Munich had ever seen anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Freezing cold, horrible, hard slush. It would rip your skin to pieces. And Fergie said to him, how long are you here for? So I've got, I'm going down to Glasgow to watch a game at Celtic. He said, where's your boarding house? And the boy goes up at Rosemount or whatever. He says, we'll call by with a team bus at 7.30 and be ready. Team bus goes and picks up the Bayern Munich boy in some guest house up in Kinkorth or whatever, <laughs> drags him down to Parkhead, and then we pump them and put them out of the cup. <laughs> but that still 
You know, the fact that that was a training facility yeah. through your time, yeah. it just, it beggars belief. Yeah. It's, it's actually not that bad, you know. I guess if it rains and that, it's a bit soft. It's, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Did you, is it, are you the guy who worked in Atlanta? Are yeah, you the guy who's yeah. forefront of technology? Yeah. It's not that bad. Yeah, if you can play on there, you're all right. So <laughs> I don't know about that as well, maybe. If you can come through this, you can come through yeah, anything. probably, yeah. It's, it's, you mentioned, you were talking before, like about the academy stuff, it's all a little bit soft at times, but yeah, there was no softness about what, what was happening here. And I think the same, every Scottish club probably as well, but uh, I was talking to Gordon Marshall before we came down about people getting made to run when you were on the training right and stuff yeah. like that. And that used to happen to us, like we'd drive to Seaton on the minibus and you're no training right, you get a couple of warnings, whatever, and then Neil Cooper get the gear on the bus. And then uh, put the gear on the bus, training's finished earlier than it should have, and you go to get on the bus, and no politely saying, where are you going? I'm getting on the bus. No, you run back. So you're running back along the golf course and right along just because you didn't train right. Have we, in general, across football, across the generations, have we lost something about how to make younger players not just better, cleverer, but tougher? I think so. But you sound like a dinosaur when you talk like that as well. Do you know? So it's not, it's not something I like comparing because maybe if we didn't do that, it might have been even better. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think we'll ever know, either. No. And I think society changes anyway. So there has been stay. societal changes. Yeah, so people aren't necessarily quite as driven. Yeah. And there's a bit, there's a more of a throwaway culture with everything these days as well. And it's, it's a lot nicer, I'd say. But there's a lot nicer and there's a lot worse because the social media stuff, you get berated for anything. But that, to separate it out from the difficult area yeah. we were talking about, that's not positive in any way. Yeah. Whereas there's the, extremes the, here and the here, difficult it's... thing we're talking about, about disciplinarians or toughness or yeah. punishments, yeah. It, it could go either way. It could be positive, but that shit on social media is yeah. not. I think there's extremes even within it, though. Like We used to get it here. You had to do the jobs on a Friday to, when we were still 16, 17, playing boys club in Dundee. You get the train at the back of one on a Friday. And some weeks when the manager or, or Neil Cooper had had a, probably a bad week, bad day, whatever, they'll come in and they'll check something, they'll look in the mirror, that's not clean. I'll come back in half an hour. And they know you had to catch the bus in 20 minutes. So stuff like that, but it was just to annoy young ones. And but it's an incentive if, if, to do if things right. Your, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so don't give them the opportunity to be like that to you. As, and as some suppose, people yeah. would have copped on to that. Yeah, I get it done right, and then you start managing. But it becomes group. a dictum in your life. Do yeah. you mean whether it's a pass? Yeah. Or cleaning dress. Well, exactly, yeah. Or, yeah. or arriving on time for the bus or whatever. It becomes yeah. a thread in your life. And you've had managers say that as well. How can I trust you to mark this guy when I can't trust you to hoover the floor? Like stuff like that. It's, there's a discipline side that you can be extreme with. But it's how do you instill it in people? There's a different way of doing it now is probably the way to answer it. Well, on the, on the theme of discipline, is nothing more discipline than... Is it, is it AC9, the undercover or the cops that investigate cops and line, oh, of, yeah, yeah. line of yeah. duty? Yeah. Now, a fellow um, trainee here who also lived at Grey Western Road, Martin Compson, yeah. he contacted me one day listening to a very early episode of this and became a guest on it and said, oh, this just reminded me of running along the Great Western Road or whatever... I don't know if you were contemporaries, but no, he well, lived that yeah. life of, yeah. of Drew is, is, is the guy who eventually yeah. said, um, we man your two we or, or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. But their, their job was to get young players in the first team. So 
they, they felt that was the best way to get players on the team because their job depended on it. So they were doing everything for your benefit. Mm-hmm. And again, it takes one person to say that's not right. And then, and especially nowadays, there's an investigation, there's all sorts, because one person, when there's people that are driven to, to make first-team players... Uh, you're just speaking to Barry Robson, he's absolutely driven to make first-team players here. You can see that. Yeah, loves the boys that he works with. And I'm sure there's people that think Barry's really strong, and but Barry's job is to help make first-team players. And, and, and the recent example, and we've just been joking about it out there, is that when his lads, a couple of whom are 15, 16, are playing against grown men, which yeah. is the story you get from yeah. everybody. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been fortunate in my life to, from, from you know, Messi and Lampard, Zico, it, it doesn't matter... Many of them, not all of them, will say, I, I played with people who are five or six years older than me yeah. and, and sometimes six or seven inches older. And yeah. you, you learn what to do, how to avoid a tackle, yeah. when not to take the piss, yeah. but, but, and, and, but also learning to cope with somebody giving you a few. Yeah, well, we, we've kind of done it. We're doing it a little bit here as well because even like today, we wanted to get the boys after an international break getting used to being in an 11 11 environment. So we've done it before where we bring Barry's team or a group of and play the first team. But today it felt like it's not our team because there's a few internationals away and stuff like that. So there was no point playing the first team against the young ones. So we mixed them. And it used to happen here when I was a young player. Like on a Monday, it used to be seven aside every Monday pretty much. Two pitches mixed with the first team. I'm 16, 17, playing with Lee Richardson, Paul Kane, McKimmy, McLeish at the time, Jim Bett. Top, top yeah, players. and you're 16 year old and you're learning how to be a player and it's, you're learning how you need to work or you're getting told and it's, there's ways of doing it and I think that our environment helps Barry but Barry's environment helps us as well so. I said to you recently that um, it, it's a shame but one of my dad's afflictions is that he has a, an Alzheimer's problem about remembering things in a certain span but one of the things that gives me great joy, I mean, unbelievable joy, you clicked, you understood, but I mean, I'm beaming now talking about it. If I say, who's Aberdeen's man? He, he, he figures, he goes, sometimes he played on the left, good player, Stephen Clark. And He'd remember that wrong as a good player, to, No, he didn't, he didn't. But to make an impact like that, I think, tells those who didn't have the good fortune of seeing you at Newcastle or Watford or Hibs, or Aberdeen most importantly, what a super footballer that you were, but in, in those seven asides or that environment, training with whether it be Bet or Rico or, or Big Scooby, Big McLeish, yeah. who, who were the ones that influenced you? That either you picked things from or you went, no, I'm not going to be like. What was the, the yeah. melange of things that were going on in your head as you watched it and participated? Probably, firstly, trying to make sure that you weren't getting told off. So you worked hard enough, was number one. Guys like, honestly, people, he wasn't a popular guy here, but Paul Kane, he was a pure professional. Uh, wasn't popular, but brilliant with the young players. So training habits, helping you on your case at the right time. Guys like Jim Bett, all of them. There was unbelievable top pros. Um, Jim, was, Jim was underestimated. I think the yeah. public, and it's a, it's a message that you, you often hear about. I interviewed somebody recently who compared himself, who talked about Ray Wilkins, for mm-hmm. example, and said, look, when you do things that are, are tidy or that are ordered but allow better players to have yeah. the ball at the right time, the, some of the public don't see it. And I think yeah. with Jim, I, he's one of the players that when fellow pros talk to me about him, the difference between what fellow pros say about Jim Bett and what the public said about yeah. Jim Bett is, is a chasm. Yeah, well, he didn't play for the clubs he played for. 
being average, you know, he's a top player. Uh, but even guys like McKimmy looked after me, Brian Grant, uh, all the younger players that had just been through the same process. And then probably towards the latter stage of that, I was lucky, Roy Aitken came in and played reserves as well when I was kind of right between reserves, first team. And he came and he played reserves and he looked after the young players in the reserves as well. Then became the manager. Uh, I don't know if he was here for that reason. It was a, I don't know the word again, a, a succession planning almost. That that was kind of in the back of the mind of the people at the club. But he became the manager and he cared about his players. He wanted to win. So I was lucky. The senior players that I got to play with, I was lucky. Uh, and I think it's no coincidence I'm in the line now as well but that many players came through this club and became managers Let me turn you into a psychologist if, you, if you're willing to play ball a little bit okay, go on. I, I, was, I was already nearly, I was certainly living away in Glasgow by the end of that season where Roy has taken over as a manager mm-hmm. and really for only one of two times in the club's entire history, never having been relegated, yeah. it, it might happen, in fact there would have been stages when possibly it's more probable with yeah. odds on now, you scored the goals um, towards the end of the season and in the playoffs. But I remember coming up and, and I said to my bosses, and I'm not working that day, I'm going to Pataudry, I'm going as a fan. And it had been a long time since there was an atmosphere like that. Mm-hmm. The place was full, but it was noisy. Everybody felt united. But by failure, in, in, in inverted commas, that's what I'm asking about the psychology. Because even at the time, not just retrospectively, I was like, what is it about folk, or maybe Aberdeen folk, whereby we should be this rampant about standards and winning every day and grinding up yeah. results? But it took crisis to... Mm-hmm. to and it was... Pataudry was explosive. And the away support in playoff... I, I'm speaking... Yeah. You, you, you've got your own view about that. What, what do you think about those days and that, that phenomenon that I'm talking about? Uh, in general, in terms of that phenomenon, I think you see other clubs that do go down and then they start winning every week in the championship and they come back up and it kind of grows and snowballs. So it's almost something's a step back to go forward. You don't want to take that step back, though. Uh, within that season, I think there was almost... There was, a, there was poor performances, there's a bit of apathy and then there's the future of the club's pretty much on the line. So then people start rallying. The club needs the support at that time and it just felt like there became a, a cause probably and it's and you see how much it means to people when that starts happening and I think it was the, the Dundee United game here was the biggest one as a sub and I don't I can't even remember I don't think it got on but the atmosphere that day I got asked about it recently actually that I think that somebody said to me the first throw-in was celebrated like it was a goal and it was like that sort of atmosphere that's intense and it's like intimidating for other teams uh, and you want you do you want to bottle that up and keep it. So that that happened. You beat United here, played Falkirk away. Uh, I think we I don't know if I remember right, but I think we couldn't get relegated then Falkirk away. We could possibly avoid the playoff. That might have been why Roy put me in the team. So young player starting started the way to Falkirk because the first game had started for a wee while, and I scored and made the other goal, and then first playoff game against Dunfermline at home I'm in the team so you just eight, 19 18 18 I think did it feel like a lot of responsibility or did it feel like no I'm, I'm, I'm made for this and neither really it's just going to play really that's yeah, it yeah yeah 
just that's you, you don't realise the size of the games and I, I kind of see Calvin Ramsey just now just playing and it's like I don't think you realise the size of the games when you're that age people can tell you but it's almost something you don't know until you've been through it I think that it comes with experience the the knowledge of what big games mean which is a, which is a problem probably because then it begins to weigh sometimes <laughs> yeah or it can, you can build it up to mean too much and then you don't perform Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, you're not going to like this because we're going to come back to Aberdeen a lot, but you're not going to, I know you're not going to like this, but I have to ask this because I love mythical players. Right. And you were beginning to be a real star for Newcastle and loved for Newcastle in the early days of Hulett. And there's a boy in the Independent quoted Bobby Munker 
Bobby Munkar, a Scot, mm-hmm. very good football, international football, legendary, and, and the last captain to lift any silverware for Newcastle, which was in about 68, 69. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry about this, and you probably know what's coming, but Bobby Munkar, talking about you, says, to me, he has all the makings of another Tony Green. Now, Tony Green was oh, a sorry, Scot at Newcastle yeah. who, who carries Maradona comparisons. You, you say that to a Georgie of yeah. any age, and they're tearful, and they're yeah. lustful, and they're Tony Green. Played about 33 games. That was a comparison. I know you probably didn't see Tony Green playing. I didn't, no, but I know the name. Flipping and I know the stories. Kind of, What kind of football were you playing? To make that comparison from Bobby, Bobby Moncar, who's not somebody who chucks away compliments loosely yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was just doing what I thought I was good at at the time. It was. I just loved playing football when I did at the time. It was but just, did you f- you fitted in the culture or the or Hulett's ideas, or maybe did you stand out because you were left-footed, which still for some people makes a footballer stand out. Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, specifically about Newcastle, and I think it goes for most clubs. To be fair, and I've been lucky to play at clubs that are similar ilk right through my career I think obviously so Aberdeen Newcastle Watford Hibs clubs that are traditionally footballing clubs so I've almost accidentally found my way there I think I fitted at Newcastle I think those fans of those clubs like people that try and that work and that look like they're doing their best and for good or bad I did that so I knew you'd shrug it off but for me when I watched you play here <clears throat> Like there were times when the ball seemed to glide where you seemed to glide, where you did things with the ball that might be ordinary to you. I'm not saying Jinky Johnson, but I'm saying <laughs> there was an <laughs> elegance, well, not, there was yeah. a clarity, there was a, you, you, you had good peripheral vision, you used the ball well, there was you moving all the time. It just stood out even then, before we had a, maybe a slight decline in Scotland of how often we produced players like that. That was something that, I mean... It, you can't, particularly if you're a regional club without a big budget, you can't expect to see players like that all the time. Yeah. Even then, I knew that, you know this is somebody. This is a bit special. Uh, you must know, be yeah. aware of having an effect like that on spectators across your life. No. At times, I think especially when I was younger, I think you could you could feel an atmosphere lifting at times. But I don't know. It's, as you get older, you see other people making the crowd react a bit more. And then you maybe know, not became the player he should have been or the other players better than you, that sort of thing. I don't know. It's well, I need to follow up because we've got lots of um, people who've been with us all our um, existence. Right. And they send in questions. So Edward Hislop, um, I'm coming back to Robert McIntosh, who says, fabulous choice of guest. Edward Hislop says, having played a prominent role in helping the Dons escape a first ever relegation in '95. Can you ask what Stephen feels were the turning points, contributory factors in that remarkable campaign? I'm thinking primarily of the five wins and the bounce to finish the season. Thank you and best of luck, Stephen. Thanks, yeah. So the turning point, and I can't remember, again, it was that long ago, the the order. But I think everybody uh, recognises the Hearts away game. Uh, And I think United got beat the same day. And I... I'm pretty sure Dodgy scored a penalty. We were, I think we are getting beat 1-0, end up 1-2-1. And, and against another one, I think it was either came on late or didn't even get on. But being part of that atmosphere was it was pretty incredible. And seeing what it takes to win at Tynecastle now as well, and 
when again the future of the club's on the line and players like Dodgy scoring penalties and like huge penalties games and games like that. That that was probably the biggest turning point. And then obviously the United at home, where I think loser gets relegated basically was the the day. I know during the game or bench or playing, you can't have time for you know feelings. Yeah. But that it's United that's suffering at the hands of our resurgence. That has to cause a few pangs. No. Nothing. Nothing. No. That's me told. Yeah. No. Zero. Zero. So being a supporter of a club when you sign for another club just disappears. To me, it does. And I, I don't know if that's having been played in Scotland and you hear people looking for the Celtic and Rangers result. Mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody could say the same thing. But no, I, I, I couldn't care less about other clubs when I'm I'm here at Aberdeen. I couldn't care less. Is that, is that inbuilt, taught from your parents? Where does that... I think it might be... It's a loyalty to the people that are, that are paying you, and I think it's a professionalism. It might be the, the ground in Aberdeen again. And I think Aberdeen wouldn't expect anything different than when I was playing for Hibs. You like them to win, but at that point in my life... I want Hibs to win but there's, there's more feeling when you come back to a club where it started Robert McIntosh coming back to him fabulous choice of guest and not just because he's a dandy but because Stephen strikes me as a really interesting voice on football something that we <laughs> second right uh, listen you had to know when you were signing up for this so there'd be quite a lot of praise we don't <laughs> sign up for people yeah. that we don't no, I don't right. impress right. I appreciate I mean, it yeah, yeah, I, I, thank would, you. I would get ready for there'll be more question from Robert do younger players respond differently to being coached in the US and in Scotland? We've been working hard nationally to improve standards, focus on skills, etc. But for every Billy Gilmore, there are many games from the top flight down where there isn't actually much football played. I'd be interested to hear what Stephen has to say about the mindset of those who are making their way in the game from your quite disparate experiences. On both sides, basically, yeah. Uh Probably the easiest and most obvious to me is there's a lack of fear of failure in the States. There's a drive for success rather than scared of what's happening if you don't succeed because there's no relegation. So probably easier to produce players, but the spectacle itself is not as real as it is here, where livelihoods are on the line, clubs' futures are on the line. People are desperate for your team to win every week. It's more, it's more real. That, that, that's the difference, I think. The lack of fear of failure. Does America? And that's a, it's a continent, not a country. And there's 270 million people and a mix of vegetable soup of cultures. But in the states, we are taught. And I've been there a few times, both for work and, and pleasure. We're taught that there's a can-do mentality. Mm-hmm. There's a try yourself, have a shot mentality, as well as yeah. there being no relegation. Is that a factor in what you're describing? Yeah, probably. I think everybody thinks, and it's the truth, anything's possible, but everybody thinks that. There's nobody thinks Graham Hunter's a better journalist than me, that I'm a better player or manager than them. They all think they're the best. And in Scotland, I think everybody's the opposite. You put everybody above you. He's better than me. He's better than me. At whatever job. Uh, and I think there's that in the culture as well, but... And I don't know if it's a contributing factor or not, but there's definitely that mindset change where people put people on a pedestal here 
and in America people consider that they are capable of, in their field, being the best. It's a, it's a hell of a culture to, to, to grow up in because I think if you've got anything about you, it, it, it liberates you because it, we'll come to talk about it, but there's, there's fear of failure. There's, what's the definition of a brave player in the pitch? We were, I, mean, I can't speak for you, but my generation, we were always taught that bravery was something physical. Mm-hmm. Whereas bravery is like how you show for the ball, yeah. what you're willing to do when the crowd have grown twice, when you, yeah. there's not a feeling of elevation, as yeah. you said. And I, I suspect that that can-do attitude informs your decisions in when you want the ball and what you do with the ball too. Yeah. There can be a falseness within that as well, though, I think, that you almost, that people can falsely think, I can be the best, and there's a bit of bravado that's not real. Uh, and I think there's a balance between the two to be had. And I think, having, again, I haven't seen both sides. I think it makes me more balanced that I've seen <laughs> a, a, a culture that there's a real can do, and there's a culture that does put people on a pedestal and says they're better than me. And I think the balance has to be, has to be had. We spoke in this series to uh, Robbie Keane, who'd, who'd been um, maybe something akin to Scott Brown here, and then he was senior player there towards the end of his career but he was also very much involved with standards and culture and yeah. training ground and he said listen there was a lot of people in that team who were like well if we've lost today there's still time to be down the beach and surfing yeah. and it drove him completely nuts now yeah. Atlanta and LA are two different countries yeah. never mind two different cities <coughs> but did you encounter any of that or is that even a theme that you just recognise from some parts of the states? and uh, in, in the lower level of football I'd say there was, a, there was more of it less concerned about the results and I say less concerned when people are playing they want to win but how much it actually affects the rest of their life was different whereas if you have a bad training session you go home and you're not happy we wear it like a jacket of nettles don't yeah, we yeah if you, if you hit one bad pass in training it's in your head like yeah, why did I hit that pass today I hit his wrong foot and the importance you place on things and I think there's less of that Whereas you try to drive that here, and I think it's in people here anyway, because they want to not make mistakes. So it concerns them when they've made mistakes. That fits nicely into the last of our social questions, which is from Finlay MacDonald. Having played north and south of the border and coached in the States, what are the main differences in style of play, and how has Scottish football changed since your playing days? Finlay says, is the standard better or worse or just different? Finlay says, my gut feeling is that the standard is lower. But he says that might just be nostalgia. Probably, yeah. I, I think see, seeing what the players do in training these days physically is incredible. More so in England, but here as well. To the extent, like the, the physique and size and shape of them, I'm not sure how far I would have got. Because everybody's bigger, stronger, quicker. Maybe I'm being Scottish negative again, but... Well, yeah. isn't there a... I mean, yeah, I'm such an idiot, I'm sorry. I'm interrupting the person who's important here, but... Uh, truthfully, and I'm not named... Pep Guardiola said that about himself. Yeah. He said, you know, if I'd been... And then he went out and played Busquets all the time, and yeah. and, and Silva played for the national yeah. team in City, and so I, I'm not sure. I think the yeah. things you had, touch, technique, passing, vision, work rate... Yeah. At Concord? Yeah, so it's, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, the game's different. It changes every generation, probably, as well. So it, it gets quicker. There's more uh, awareness of what other teams are doing, what everybody's doing. The, the game's on the telly every night. 
so people see stuff. So you can you can almost get fooled into thinking teams are better than they are at times as well. Uh, you get you get snippets of teams showing the best bits of them. No propaganda, but you get fed. How good is this team? How good is that player? Because when more when we were younger, we're different ages, but we would have to watch all of a game because there was no YouTube, there yeah. was no software. Yeah. So you were either watching, say, 30 minutes of highlights yeah. and it was made to look like a game or we were watching 90 minutes rather than a show. Yeah. YouTube's full of show reels. Yeah. yeah. I see what you mean. I never thought of it like yeah. that. And it's, that it can hypnotise you a little bit. Yeah. Or teams say, oh, this team presses all the time and they show you three clips of them pressing and you don't know of the rest of the game. They just sat in. But there's... People have got a way of hyping up what they do, I think. What, um, what do you use? How do you use analysis? How much information is too much now that you're a coach? For, for our game prep and that, you mean? Or? For your weekly life, for your game prep, for maybe not for analysing a signing because you've got more time to think about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess I mean for analysing your own training performances and analysing rivals. Because there seems yeah. to be, there's a, there's a typhoon of information. Yeah. And how to be, we, we spoke recently to Dean Smith, and Dean's point of view at Aston Villa, and different strokes, which mm-hmm. I can't have too much information. Mm-hmm. Give me everything. Give me different voices in my coaching staff. Yeah. And, and I know that's working from look at Villa. Yeah. But you could be submerged. I think, I bet though he said... It's up to him how he deciphers that information. 100%. That, that's the biggest thing. You can have as much or as little as you want, but you have to decipher it yourself. I think when it comes to it, the, the biggest important bit is how you uh, judge things that are happening live from pitch level on a Saturday. Because if you can't do that, uh, you can prepare all week, and then when things change on a Saturday and you've, it's your eyes at the side of the pitch or the people that you're trusting right beside you, that's, that's huge. And I think that can get lost, the, the, the importance of that. So you must never cede the responsibility for decision-maker interpretation, what the data or the footage is showing you. Yeah. You must always place your own, because then you have to do that live too. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and even with the analysis as well, we choose what bits we want to see, how much relevance we give to the other team what they're going to do, how can they change within their shape and stuff. And it doesn't really change a lot of the principles of how you work anyway. So, and I actually, I had to watch a thing for the, the CPD, the pro licence, and I saw Mourinho, and he believes in himself. So, <laughs> he, uh, rightly so. Rightly That's so. a euphemism. Yeah, but rightly, <laughs> rightly so. But he, because uh, he, he, he was talking about analysing other teams how much time are you going to spend analysing another team and this is not me this is him yeah. he said when they play against me and my team they change so he, he can watch a hundred games of the other team but in his opinion they'll change for his team so the analysis of what they've done in the past is almost irrelevant I see the point yeah so they, they can change on the fly so he has to be able to change in the game mm-hmm. plus the, the principles of how you work week to week, day to day form the, the biggest importance it's of something team. that's really clear about what I you, you like to have your ear at the ground and watching the dandies is the world to me when I hear people talking about what they see since you've arrived is there's 
a widespread impression that we are, as an organisation, tactically acute. Right. That if a team or a match, because a match has got a personality too, is causing you a problem, then you're you're sharp to to see solutions. They may not always work. Because yeah, of course. There's yeah. so many moving parts in the solution. Yeah. But you read well, you interpret well, and you seem to not you're you're not risk averse. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, if I see it, we'll, we'll yeah. have a shot at it. Yeah. How much of that is reflects what you think you're like? <laughs> My wife would tell you different because I don't make decisions as quick. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> we're in a new house and we've got a TV yet because I can't decide which TV to buy. So she's like. How can you do that here? And I, don't I don't do often it. let guests edit that, but that that can come out later. Well, that's that's too much detail. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. That's true. That's true. Like I'm indecisive, but with football, I'm not, hmm. and I don't know why. I'm probably not good at anything else. I don't know. But do you read games? Do you think you feel like you read games well? I think so. Yeah, uh, and I don't. I, again, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I think I I think one of my strengths is that I can see things on a pitch. Uh, you've got to decide when you make changes but if you go too quick that lets them change so if you're a little bit more patient you see their sub getting ready hold back what are they doing Uh, are they going to change are they going to do the same but just freshen it up and then right we've seen what we can change and we're going to do it or at half time we've done it a couple of times at half time because it needed to change they don't know what you're going to do at half time because they don't know until the team walks out on the pitch, so they can't they can't change, and they've just told their team how to. Well, not to throw away Mourinho's point. The more you study other sides, the more you like you can. I know what he's got to do here. I, I, oh, yeah, I've seen that players. two three weeks ago. I've, you know, I think you can you can predict. Yeah, they, they've also only got the players they've got who do the things they do. So it's no, there's not a countless number of op, uh, options for them. So you can plan, but I think your principles are the ones that are right for you. How do you defend? How do you attack? Uh, when do you press? When do you not? Because everybody wants to say they're a pressing team and there's, <laughs> there's a time and a place. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.